Hello, y'all. Thanks for joining Doggone Hairy Life podcast this week. I have a two-part podcast um, today because I have a lot of information I wanted to cover, and I wanted to try to separate information um, about the fostering program and try to answer questions that I think would arise about that. And then also I wanted to share stories about some of the special fosters that we've had. And I originally recorded this a few days ago and had exceeded the time that Anchor podcast allows for a segment. So I've decided to try to make possibly two 30 minute segments. Um, And I wanted to just say up front that I apologize for any weird noises you'll hear today. Um, Once again, I live a hairy life. It is chaotic all the time. I have just put my four-year-old down for bed, but we do not have AC um, for the last two days. And it is actually warmer in my house than it is outside. So I'm currently sitting on my back porch and um, you may hear the panting of one of the dogs and um, possibly some roosters crowing or chickens clucking or something because they still haven't been locked up yet. Um, and also a hum of the greenhouses. Um, we live on a greenhouse nursery. Um, and so we are, we have a row of greenhouses that line up right beside our house and, um, they just let off this nice little hum constantly. And uh, it's starting to get dark outside, so you'll probably also hear some crickets chirping and frogs croaking. But I'll try to make this um, as painless as I can. So, it's, um, I I wanted to start with um, the two groups that we foster for. So we foster for Southeastern Virginia Golden Retriever Rescue Education and Training. They are also known as Siva Grade. I've mentioned that before. And they are, um, I've been rescuing, fostering, volunteering with them since June of 2013. That was when I got my first foster. And um, we took a, we've been on a hiatus because after we had Sailor, we had a special needs dog, not from them, but from the Shepherd Rescue. And after she got adopted, we just kind of took a break to focus on being new parents and trying to tackle life with three of our own dogs plus a newborn. And we ended up moving into our new house when our daughter was eight months old and just trying to figure things out, you know, as, as we've navigated the different seasons so far from newborn stage to toddler to now preschool. So we were on a hiatus for, um, it's been about four years almost exactly. So I was, I told my husband a couple weeks ago that I was really itching to get back into fostering. Um, and I feel like it's something that once you do it, you kind of are addicted to it. Um, the feeling you get from taking these dogs in some of the summer that, that are in extremely awful condition and you nurse them back to health, it's gratifying. And it really just makes me want to keep doing it. And something that I've always dreamed about is having my own dog rescue sanctuary. And I put sanctuary on the end of that because 
I know that there are dogs that could potentially be rescued by me, but may not be suitable for another family. And they, they're just going to live out their last months, days, years, whatever, at like my sanctuary. And I would make it like a heaven for them. You know, they would have everything they ever needed. Um, so that's a dream of mine. And it's something that I still hope to accomplish. Um, we have plans when my daughter graduates high school, we want to move to Texas. That's where my husband's from. And he's got land and a house out there already. And so we just have these dreams that I just want to come to fruition once we get out there. And um, I, I still have 14 years to really even see that start to come anywhere. But in the meantime, it's nice to dream and it gives me something to look forward to. And so we started in June 2013 with them. Then about five months later, six months later, we started fostering with a German Shepherd Rescue. Um, we had lost our lab, Liberty, in November of, I'm sorry, December 2013. And once um, she passed away, my husband wanted to do German Shepherd fostering. So we found an awesome group and we've been fostering with them since I think it was December or January of 13 or 14. Um, we've taken in, I mean, between transporting dogs, physically having dogs in our home, um, holding dogs till other fosters were available. We've had over 20 dogs um, in our home. And then, like I said, I haven't, I don't think I've really done any transports for the Shepherd Rescue, but the Golden Rescue I have, I've done just a handful. I mean, it's nothing to brag about. I've probably done like maybe five or six. Um, and those are just ones that like come in and are, and they go to a vet immediately. And then they have to be transported from the vet to the foster home. And usually the foster home might be um, somewhere outside of the typical range of where the vet is. So if it's in an area that I'm close to, I've always volunteered to just go pick them up. I mean, it really takes nothing. You know, it's mostly, it was mostly on the times I'm leaving work to come home and just swing by the vet, pick this dog up, take them, you know, another 45 minutes or an hour away. But, um, and then I also have done owner surrenders too, where they've met me at the vet and then there's some where I've had to go to the home, get the dog and then take the dog to a vet. Um, but the, the programs pretty much operate similarly. Uh, they, um, you both, you, with both of them, you get a time frame with the dog to get to know them. Most of them, if they're already rather healthy, make sure they're up to date on shots and everything like that. And then, um, and then they're available for adoption. There's really nothing wrong with them. If they need surgeries, anything like that, that the rescue knows is going to prohibit that dog from being adopted, I've seen both of them do what they need to do to, to take care of that dog and get it adopted. And um, both of them, like literally anything that dog needs done, 
they will do. I've seen with the Shepherd Rescue and the Golden Rescue, actually, dogs going to North Carolina State University for um, particular issues that they have that their vet school there is working on and can treat. Um, so we get like a two-week period with them, get to know them, and then we get to put, post their bio online. And I take tons of pictures. I love to take pictures, and especially of dogs. And um, so I always have so many pictures I can post of them in just so many different stages, you know, of them sleeping, of them relaxing with family, playing with my dogs, you know, just outside being their goofy self, laying in the sunshine. You know, I try to capture every moment of that dog that I can. Um, because you never know when one one might just strike somebody as that's the dog for me. Um, so you post them, they end up getting um, reviewed, and then applications start coming in. And they come to you, usually a handful, I'd say like three to five that sound like they'll fit that dog then I review them and I make phone calls to those applicants sometimes it's all five of them or however many I get sometimes it's all of them that I get and then um, other times you know once I look at the application I may see something that just kind of strikes me as you know it's not that fit for that dog um, so then I'll just call who I feel like is it I set up times for them to come to my house meet the dog and it has to be everybody in their household come to the house meet the dog and then I'm I'm taking mental notes but then when they leave I'm writing down notes about their interaction and how the dog you know reacted to them how they were with the dog you know answer any questions that they had see how savvy they are with the with that breed and um you know, if they seem willing enough to do whatever they have to do to make it work. And then I mill over it. And when I say I mill over it, I make pros and cons list. I'm not going to lie. I go the old trusty route, pros and cons of each family. And um, then I make my decision. Now, I am a firm believer in God. And... I do believe that this whole time that we've been doing this, God has directed me to the right family. He has shown me some glimpse of who the right family is. And sometimes it's super easy. I see the first family and I'm like, this is it. And I still give the other families a chance, but I still go back on that one. Um, and then other times, like, there's no hope, and then the last family comes in, and then that's it. Um, but it's it's a hard decision because you're making this for a dog who can't communicate with you about who they like. You're just looking at their reaction, their posture, you know, to these people. And you're relying on your gut feeling that these people are who they say they are and will take care of that dog because I'm pretty sure as with all the other fosters they're just like me in the sense that these dogs are just like one of my own so when that night comes prior to me 
handing that dog over to their new family, I cry about it with the dog. I tell that dog, I've told every single one of them, you know, I pray to God that this is the family for you. He has shown me the way. I pray that they love you as much as I do. You know, and I, I just give them the spiel to let them know that I really do love them. And I've had a dog come back to me and the the adoptive family knew that, you know, they felt so much better knowing that he was coming back to us because they knew how much I loved him. And um, they trust the other fosters, obviously, but they just knew this is where he came from. They couldn't have him due to some unfortunate circumstances. So they asked if he could come back to me. And without hesitation, I was, yes, absolutely. Um, so I, um, you know, I think about it and I pray about it. I give it to God. I let him take over and he hasn't steered me wrong yet. It's hard, um, that day of two. And I try to always be strong because I can't imagine what it's like for a family who's so in love with that dog already to feel like they're ripping my heart out. So I'm I'm usually strong. I think maybe one, I have cried right in front of them. Um, but as soon as they leave or as soon as I turn my back on them, going back in my house or something, I lose it. And I just, it's just because I love them so much and I'm praying to God that this is right. That this family is not going to hurt that dog because I know I wouldn't. I know my, I know that they're safe in my home, but you know, just imagine if it were a child, you know, and I don't, I really don't know how foster parents of children do it. And I know people tell me this all the time with fostering dogs. I don't know how you do it. I would want to keep them all. And in my head, I'm telling myself, yes, I want to keep them all, but I know that my house is not always the perfect situation for them. If I kept them all, I can't save anymore. Or if I keep this one, I can't save anymore. Um, so I, I'm sure that's how foster parents of children think too, is, you know, I have to let this one go because, you know, I, I just, I can't save anymore. I can't help anymore if I keep this one. But at the same time, I feel like their situation is different because a lot of times that child goes back to the family that it was taken from and that's got to be really hard because the situation is not always the best and then whoever it is rehabs or does what they have to do and that child is allowed to go back to them as a foster mom it would kill me because you already have this you know bad vibe about that person and you're praying that they're better and that the child's going to be okay. But how many times have you seen where, you know, unfortunately, a child succumbs to, you know, that, uh, that parent? And I'm sure the foster parent at that point feels guilty. But you're fighting a system there. With us, it's, it's different in the sense that these dogs are going to a new family. There's no way in heck, no way that the rescue would take a dog from an abusive owner and then turn around and say, okay, you're better. You can have them back. No way in heck. And so the one thing I want to get at is the vetting process for applications. So 
these dogs are, um, you know, they come into the foster home. We're, we're expected to get to know them as best as we can. You know, if they have any things that irk them, are they housebroken? You know, do they cry at night? Do they have separation anxiety? Are they good with thunderstorms? Are they great with kids, cats, other dogs? And we got to get to know that. And, um, so the rescue has a bunch of people who work on these applicants that put in and they do research on them. You know, they're, they're going to go back and say, okay, you say that you have animals in your home. Do they see the vet regularly? And if they don't, chances are your application is going to get kicked. Now I have seen circumstances and we are one of those where our older dogs are not seeing the vet anymore for vaccines. And that is because they have reached this age where I know they're not going anywhere to get rabies um, or kennel cough or anything like that. They don't go to other, um, you know, places like that. The dogs that are coming into our home are being vaccinated against certain diseases. So I'm not concerned about transmission there. Um, and then my other dog, um, she's got cancer and we just kind of feel like with her immune system crashing, vaccines may not be the best thing for her. And that was a decision that, that was brought upon ourselves in our vet. So our vet backs us a hundred percent. Um, so there's circumstances like that there. I will say that I know of some rescues that have people that review the applications they call the vet and then they're like no you know we haven't seen that person's cat in 15 years and they just say denied they don't even ask why um and i feel like everyone deserves a chance i feel like everybody deserves to be looked into for that so then if it were me doing the applications i would call that person and say hey you know i called your vet and they told me that you um your your cat has not been seen for 15 years why is that then um give them a chance to explain themselves you know there there's a reason for everything so if they just say oh we're lazy and they just don't go anymore well then that's a problem but every dog and cat should be vetted yearly at least whether they get vaccinations or not they should be vetted yearly um so if you're applying for these rescues these two especially make sure that if you have animals in your home that you're taken to the vet regularly because they will check that and that can sometimes be the difference between exception and denial um also you have to remember that these groups work on volunteers. So these are people that have full-time jobs and families and other priorities outside of the rescue. So when you put in an application, you don't always get an answer right away. It may take sometimes up to a month to even hear back from anybody. But you just have to be patient with them and know that they're getting to it. And they're gonna let you know if you're denied or not. They're gonna tell you, but once you get your application looked at and then all that history is being pulled, 
then it gets passed on to a home evaluator. So you usually have somebody who will call you and say, okay, your application's gone through. Now we need to do home evaluation. We want to make sure your home is suitable for whatever dog from our rescue you decide to adopt. And that could be, you know, you don't have to have a fenced in yard. Okay. A lot of people think, oh, I don't have a fenced in yard. You don't need to have that, but they need to know how you're going to exercise your dog or, you know, because they're not going to just let your dog go willy nilly. So you have to prove to them that, you know, oh, we're active. So we go on walks here and there and we do this and we do that. And we're willing to walk this dog. Now, remember, you don't have a fenced in yard when it's snowing outside and freezing cold or raining and that dog needs to go outside. It's your responsibility to hook them up to a leash and be right there by them. So they want to see that you're willing to put in that work. And um, so that's important. You don't have to have the fence in yard, but your home has to be safe. They want to make sure that, you know, if you're wanting a, I'm just going to pick on German Shepherds here because every puppy I've ever had is chaotic and neurotic. Um, German Shepherd puppy, you say that that's what you want, okay? They come look at your house and you've got, you know, porcelain figurines all over the house and you know uh, antique things all over the place antique furniture whatever they're gonna look at you like you do understand you're bringing a bull into a china shop right and they may even ask you that like what do you plan on doing with this stuff and you shouldn't be offended because they're looking out for the best interest of your stuff and the dog because what if that dog breaks something that's extremely valuable to you so it doesn't have to be childproof but they just want to see that you're understanding the responsibility you're about to take on. And that's the problem with why a lot of these German Shepherds end up in rescue is because of irresponsible owners and breeders. Um, people think that they can handle it. And these dogs really require a job. They require some sort of herding, um, even retrieval. I mean, our dog Jet loves to retrieve his ball. He knows if you're going to throw it, he's going to bring it back. Sometimes he likes to play keep away, but, you know, that's that's his thing. Um, but they require a job. You can't just get a dog and keep it caged up all day long. It has to be out and playing, and you have to make it a part of your family. And in the next segment, I will I'll explain to you about a family who had to bring back the dog that I was telling you about due to unfortunate situation where uh, his behavior led to them isolating him and it just broke their heart. They, they didn't want that so he ended up coming back to us but we'll discuss that in the next segment. So um, just to kind of break everything down so you know you have the application pro process you have the home evaluation then you come and see the dog um, at the foster home, and then that person ultimately makes the decision. Um, I don't know. I feel like with both the rescues, there are kind of like a grace period. It might be like a week's time or something. I almost feel like I, I remember that with the shepherd rescue, and I would follow up with the adopters just to see how things were going. Um, but it may have been with maybe just a special dog or something. I can't remember. It may have been a special situation. Um, gosh, it's been a while. <laughs> I can't remember what I ate for dinner last night. So I'm trying to remember four years ago and it's very hard. So 
Um, and even longer than that, geez, 2013. Um, so, you know, if in, another thing I try to tell people, so when they see me with a foster, they immediately like, oh, I want that dog. And it's not that easy because for one, you got to go through that whole process again, which I said could take some time. So I always tell people, go ahead and put in your application. If you know that you're ready to accept a dog into your family and you know your breed specific, you know you want a golden, you want a German Shepherd, you want just a big breed dog, um, then go ahead and put in your application because it takes a while to get through the process. And then once you're in the process and you've been accepted, you can select the specifics on the dog that you want. And that just puts you in line for when a dog like that becomes available to get you there. But like with the puppy that I have right now, a lot of people are like, oh my God, I'd love to have her. I'd love to have her. Well, she's not in the rescue yet. I do need to get working on that, but she will be in the rescue. And I keep telling them puppies go fast. Um, In every rescue, I think puppies go fast, no matter what the breed is. So with German Shepherds, mostly so because they're so trainable. Um, once, I, f- I almost feel like once German Shepherds get to a certain point, it's hard to break a habit. It, it can be broken, but some of them are just so headstrong that they're stuck in their ways. Um, so, you know, if you guys are interested, take a look at the dog's um, adoptagolden.org and southeastgermanshepherdrescue.com. They have the dogs on there that are available now, but like I said, if you're interested in either one of those two breeds, go ahead and put in your application. They, things were shut down for a while with COVID, but now we're starting to open things back up. Um, and, you know, it's going to take a while to get things pushed through again because there have been people that have been waiting forever. So I'm sure they're pushing those those people through um, quicker. Um, So before I close out this segment, I did want to talk about one of the dogs that I found um, at the Virginia Beach Animal Care and Adoption Center again. Um, And once again, his little picture just, it got me. Um, So his name is Mudge. M-U-D-G-E. And Mudge is a senior. He's seven years old. Great Pyrenees German Shepherd mix. He is 140 pounds, y'all. He's good with cats and dogs. Great with kids as he lived in a home with three of them. Very calm. Loves treats. Needs space because he's gigantic. And is a loving great dog. He's like brown and chocolate with some black on him. He looks like a Great Pyrenees if you're if you're familiar with those that breed, um, big gigantic white dogs. Um, but he does have the facial markings of a German Shepherd. He's got really dark chocolate brown ears. His his muzzle is black, kind of charcoalish color, but he is um, starting to gray on his face. The rest of his coat is kind of like a tan color. Um, But it looks like his feet are mostly white and he's got some white on his chest. But, oh, I saw him and I just fell head over heels. Once again, I love large breeds. So if you're interested in Mudge, um, 
he's available for adoption at Virginia Beach Animal Care and Adoption Center. Um, phone number is 757-385-4444 and they are on at 341 South Birdneck Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia. So um, give Mudge a, a little look online if you care to, you know, take a gander. Um, and then the second thing um, I'm going to do on this one. So we, um, we've lost a couple of canine officers in the line of duty within the last couple of days. And I wanted to share their bios. Um, I figure since this is a canine segment, I will, I will chit chat about them. So on July 25th, we lost two canines, um, one with the Michigan State Police and one with uh, Savannah Police Department in Georgia. So uh, Michigan State Police lost canine Rex. His end of watch was Sunday, July 25th, 2001. He was killed when his handler's car was struck by a suspected drunk driver in Detroit. Um, his handler was assisting with the closure of a road due to flooding and had positioned his truck across all lanes of travel. The road had been closed for several hours and another vehicle struck his vehicle at a high rate of speed. K-9 Rex suffered serious injuries and died after being transported to Blue Pearl Pet Hospital in Southfield. His handler, as well as multiple occupants of the other car, were injured. K-9 Rex and his handler were assigned to the Metro South Post. Um, I don't really see an age on K-9 Rex, but he's a beautiful, typical, he looks, he looks like a hybrid mix, actually. Um, and then the Savannah Police Department in Georgia lost K-9 Jazz. Um, K-9 Jazz looked like a Malinois. Um, end of watch was Sunday, July 25th, 2021. K-9 Jazz was killed when his handler's patrol SUV was involved in a crash at the intersection of Price Street and Liberty Street while responding to a call at 2.15 a.m. Their vehicle overturned as a result of the crash and K-9 Jazz suffered fatal injuries. K-9 Jazz had served with the Savannah Police Department for two years. He was three years old. Um, so my thoughts and prayers are with the Michigan State Police and Savannah Police Departments. Um, I, I, ha I personally know K-9 officers and I see the bond that they have with, these do with their dogs, um, both through the handler's perspective and I've seen how the dog is. I mean, these dogs live and die for their handlers, literally. And um, so I know that their handlers are just beside themselves right now. Um, and so my prayers, thoughts and prayers are with their handlers and families because once again, I've seen these canine dogs in their home environment and to see them go from working status to home status is just, it's incredible because they can, you can grab their work collar and you just see a switch in their eyes. Like I'm going to work. Let's get bad guys, daddy. Um, and, but then when they're home, they're just couch potatoes, you know, sprawled out on their backs, their legs spread wide open, you know, passed out, um, just wanting to play ball or something. Um, 
so I know that their handlers are hurting really bad. So my thoughts and prayers with them. And if you guys, you know, want to check out their um, bios, you can go to the Officer Down Memorial page, which is www.odmp.org. Um, and they have the list of the fallen officers in the line of duty recently, but also um, the 2021 K-9 honor roll of the dogs that have we've lost so far this year. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and close this segment. The next segment I will um, I will start shortly will be about some of the stories of um, my rescue, and um, I will talk to you guys soon. Thanks for joining. Bye. Hey guys, I'm back. So this uh, segment, I'm going to tell you some stories about my fosters that I've had that um, all of them I love dearly and they all hold a place in my heart. I have a gallery wall in my um, hallway of pictures of all of them that we have rescued and adopted out. And to this day, I can go through and still name every single one of them and know, you know, I see them and I remember their special story. The fortunate part about um, rescue is I have been able to stay in touch with a lot of the uh, adopted families, which has been magnificent because I've been able to watch these dogs grow. Now my very first golden griffin. He came into our home on my birthday in 2013, June 25th, 2013. And we had Griffin for a short time because he was a standard golden retriever. Um, beautiful build, block head, gorgeous coat. And I knew when he came in our home, he ain't going, he ain't going to last. And we found a great family for him. They kept in touch with us for a little while and then I stopped getting text messages from them. And that's fine. Like, I don't expect people to keep me involved in the dog's life, but the ones that do, I just know that they know how much that dog meant to me. And it means a lot to me that they, they want to still, um, you know, keep me involved in a sense. So I had Griffin and, um, Shortly after Griffin, well, I'll say shortly after Griffin, when our lab passed Liberty in December of 13, shortly after that, we got our first German Shepherd uh, rescue. And his name was Sammy. And Sammy did not really look like a German Shepherd uh, other than his markings. I mean, he had like the black and tan and, and whatnot, but he had floppy ears. He had a blockier head. Um, so I don't really know what he was mixed with, but it was assumed German Shepherd mix. So he came into the rescue and Sammy's family and I still, um, follow each other on Instagram and Facebook and everything. And for a while there, we even dog sat, um, and house sat for them because they have a son who is special needs. He has cerebral palsy and also has, I I'm probably going to jack this up. I want to say it was a kidney transplant. I don't think it was liver. I'm pretty sure it was a kidney transplant. Um, but he was very young when he went through all of this. And um, I want to say he might have been a year old, if that, when they adopted Sammy from us. And they were looking for a dog that was chill to be around their son, but also um, could cater to his son's needs. Now, they weren't looking for a service dog. 
per se, but just one that would pay attention to, to their son. And they came over and, um, their daughter, one of their daughters fell in love with my Mastiff Remington. And she was asking if, if he was the one that they could keep. And I was like, no, I'm sorry, not that one. That's my baby. Um, and she ended up being knocked over by Sammy. He was getting rambunctious in the yard and knocked him over because he was young. I want to say he was maybe a year old when he was adopted. Um, and knocked her over and mom's reaction was just like you got to get used to it you want a dog we got to get used to being knocked down you know and i thought that was great um they i only had them and i think one other family that came to see sammy and i knew off the bat that they were the ones um sammy was going to fit right in with them they had a dachshund sammy got along with just fine and um it, it, it was just meant to be it was one of the things where I knew. I prayed about it, of course, because they had such a special situation and I, I really wanted it to work and it has. They still have Sammy. It's been so heartwarming to watch him grow old with them um, and know the love that they have for him. And they'll, they'll take pictures of their kids. They have four now. When they adopted Sammy, they had just three. And they take pictures of the kids and Sammy with them in the background, just snoozing in the sunshine or something. And it just, it means so much that he's still such a big part of their family. They have four children, one with special needs, and Sammy still gets attention. So you couldn't ask for a better situation, a better family. Um, I have had a dog come in that needed multiple surgeries. We had Dakota come into our home and Dakota was the worst dog, the worst shape I have ever seen. And when I got the email from our foster coordinator that they were looking for a foster for this dog, it, it said, I will warn you, the pictures are hard to look at and he's a mess right now. He's stinky, he's flea infested, he's a mess. Well, I didn't need to see pictures or anything. I was ready to take him. That's just how I am. I want the worst case dog to take care of them. So I get the pictures, I look at them and I see this dog that has just been completely malnourished, so skinny, no hair from the back, mid back down. Um, I could tell he was a fluffy dog. He was, he was potentially a golden mix, um, maybe like a Samoyed or something like that. He was very fluffy in the upper part of him. Um, and coarser hair, not golden like hair, coarse hair. But he was so thin. The hair that was missing from his mid-back back, you could see his ribs, his spine, his pelvis. Um, I mean, you could literally see, you could count the bones in him. So he gets to the vet and they do the workup and they, they tell the rescue, okay, here's the situation. He's severely underweight um, by about 50 to 70%. He weighed 30 pounds when he came in. They were guessing he should be between 60 and 70. Um, 
and his legs are so bad that he's having issues standing up. When he stood up, he kept his legs close together in the back because his hips hurt so bad and his knees were bad. It was a way of him to try to balance himself on both feet without favoring one over the other. His teeth were worn down, she said, potentially um, because he was possibly eating uh, rocks to stay alive. So he was a forced owner surrender, um, I believe from North Carolina. And, and it's things like that, like I don't even want to remember that part, but a neighbor, I guess, had seen him or another dog in this person's care and reported them. And animal control came out and was like, you're either going to go to jail or you're going to turn them over. And they, they turned them over. Uh, I, I, I want to say it was him and like three other dogs. I think it was four altogether. And the Golden Rescue got their hands on him. And thank God that they did because I knew that he was where he needed to be now. He was going to be taken care of no matter what surgeries he needed. So I, I go to pick him up and he's scared to death. And when I saw his face, I just wanted to scoop him up and tell him, I'm never going to hurt you. I'm making you better. I love you already. But, you know, he wasn't ready for that. He wanted to be by the vet because that's who he started to trust. He had been there like a day and a half. That's who he trusted. So I, I started to cry when the vet's telling me everything about him. And she was like, you know, God bless the rescue. You know, if he were in a shelter, he wouldn't have made it. They would have put him down. And um, that was devastating to hear because I think every animal deserves a chance. So she told me what was expected. And the rescue, the Golden Rescue goes through a phenomenal vet in Tawano. Um, if you're actually looking for like an orthopedic vet or just a vet in general in the Tawano area, animal, and sorry, Anderson's uh, Corner. Anderson's Corner Animal Hospital. Amazing practice. Truly care for the dogs. They are 100% just phenomenal people. From the staff in the front desk to the vet techs and vets in the back. Amazing people. Dakota had to have two TPLO surgeries, which are basically like uh, knee replacement surgeries. Um, and it was found out that the ball of his femur, I believe, was so worn down that he really didn't have a hip anymore. He had nothing to go in the hip socket. So the doc basically took a breast implant and put it in his hip area and um, reattached like his butt muscles over that. And that was his new hip. He sawed off the rest of his uh, femur tip, and that was that was it. Um, so Dakota had three surgeries every six weeks. Well, it's one surgery every six weeks for three surgeries. Um, recovered phenomenally. He was a trooper and so special to me. We had him for over a year to nurse him back to health as far as his weight, his surgeries, and just his trust. You know, I really wanted to make sure that I saw 100% of this dog's personality so I knew who he was meant for. He kept getting passed up on the golden site because he's not your typical golden. You know, people go there looking for a golden retriever, not this mutt that's probably not even golden retriever. 
And finally, I got an email. Kayla, we got a, a potential adopter. She sounds fantastic, blah, 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 blah. She came out and as soon as she pulled up, we were in the front yard because my husband was leaving for work. As soon as I saw her pulling up the street, the sun was shining in her face. It was like an angelic glow around her. She saw Dakota, she started smiling so big. And I knew right then in my heart that she was gonna love him almost as much as I did. They were godsend for Dakota. They were family that I still do keep in touch with. Um, Dakota has since passed on, but his family, um, Aaron, if you're listening to this, you know that you guys have always had a special place in my heart. Um, and I get emotional talking about Dakota because he was like my soul dog. It was so hard to give him up. I just kept saying, Chris, if it takes over a year and he doesn't get adopted, we're just going to adopt him, you know, <laughs> or, or I was asking the rescue, can he be a forever foster, you know? Aaron and them took on, Aaron and Matthew took on his, his condition, his, you know, you just don't know what you're getting with a dog that's been malnourished like that. What organ damage has been done to him and, and whatnot. They just took it on. They were just, you know, hitting everything that they could as best as they could. And they're a military family. So they moved several times to Dakota and, um, Every time that she had issues with him and she would go talk to a vet about it, she would consult with me about what they told her. She knew, you know, being in rescue that I've seen several cases of different things. So she was consulting with me, like, what do you think I should do? And, um, you know, and I told her how I felt about certain things. I trusted her gut. I knew she was going to make the best decision for Dakota. And ultimately, in the end, um, he did have to be put down. He was starting to lose a battle with, I believe, liver or kidney disease. And um, she made the decision to put him down. And I know that was very hard for them um, because, like I said, she loved him just as much as I did. <laughs> and um, I won't say she loved him more because, you know, I just had that part for him. But Aaron, I hope you don't have, you don't take offense to this either. Um, but... I just knew that they were the one. It, there was no question about it when I saw her. And they, um, when we dropped him off, we hung out for a little bit at their house. And she was so considerate of Dakota's needs the whole time when it came up to taking him to their house. She was like, she told me um, the night before, she said, I would love to come pick him up for you, from you guys. But I'm worried about how Dakota's going to handle that because she knew how attached Dakota and I were. It wasn't just me attached to him. It was a mutual feeling. She said, so I think it might be best if you guys don't mind bringing him to our house. That way he can ride with you guys. You get your last ride in with them. And then, you know, he sees you in our environment. He'll ease up a little bit. And then, you know, maybe it'll be easier for you guys to leave. And I was like, okay, yeah, that, that sounds great. And it just warmed my heart to know that she thought of him. She thought about how he was going to handle this transition. So we did do the drop-off, and it was amazing. She had all this stuff set up. Her husband um, was still on deployment, and she was just so excited for him to meet Dakota. And she had 
super fluffy dog beds and his dog bowl and everything just do you think he's gonna like it set here where does he eat in your house you know like all that now Dakota was a very special dog because um, all of our dogs have like their spot in the house to eat and at one point we had Dakota and like uh, our three we probably had about six dogs at one point and um, Dakota would eat on his dog bed so the funny thing is is if you put his bowl of food anywhere else he would go pick his bowl of food up without spilling it and carry it to his dog bed that's where he wanted to eat so I told her that I said I don't think wherever you put it you know he's gonna find his spot and he's gonna put it there that's just how Dakota is so she showed us a tour of the house where he'll sleep in the bedroom you know and and she wanted to have this comfortable spot for him downstairs because of his hip and knee problems so she didn't want him to have to worry about going upstairs to the bedroom but she was like if I have to sleep downstairs with him while Matthew's gone I will um and she would bless her heart she's carried him up the stairs too um because she said I think one of the first nights he tried to get up the stairs and he couldn't and she kept trying to get him just stay downstairs stay downstairs and he wanted up there with her so bad so she carried him up the stairs um and at this point when he was adopted he was like 65 pounds so I mean he was a hefty dog she was a tiny girl um but she just did so much for him and went out of her way to make him happy and that's the kind of thing that I live for is for the dog that gets the the Hollywood life you know and um like I said before she had to make the decision to put him down she actually called me or texted me and let me know that they were going to do it and um you know she felt like it was the right decision and she just wanted me to know before she saw a post in a few days on Facebook and I just I bawled because that just meant so much to me that she she thought of me in that time of grief she thought of me and that just meant so much sorry I'm getting emotional <laughs> it meant so much that she thought of me in that time and how it would affect me if I found out on Facebook so um, you know, I got to tell her the usual, give him big hug and kiss for me, kiss him right between the eyes. I, I love to kiss him right between the eyes. And, uh, and she was like, oh, you know, I will. And I was like, let him know, you know, that I love him. And she did. And then when he passed, she let me know, um, how, how everything went. And we're still friends on Facebook and Instagram. So I still get to see her life with her kids and everything post Dakota. But, um it's it's definitely uh they're definitely a family that holds a really special place in my heart um to take him on when he had been treated so badly before and I didn't know if I could trust anyone with him so they just they were angels heaven sent um so I also had two dogs, moving on, I had two dogs that were um, on TV, both German Shepherds. I had Chase, um, Chase was on TV, he was a gigantic German Shepherd. He, uh, we had him on TV on the Hampton Road Show for uh, awareness on the rescue and the special needs dogs. We have a program with the, with the German Shepherd Rescue called the Phoenix Dog Program. And if you know what the Phoenix is, you know, it's, it's uh, 
the, um, you know, rose from ashes kind of story. And so these dogs are special needs and the rescue um, has special funds for them to take care of them. And Chase was a part of that, res uh, of that program because he had epilepsy. And um, it was semi-controlled for a while and then he started having a really hard time and um, was on a lot of medication, constantly getting lab work done to check levels and adjust things. And I had never had a dog prior to this that had um, epilepsy. The first time he had a, an episode was very, very scary. Um, but after that, I was like a pro and I knew what I had to do. And it even got to the point where I could start to pinpoint when he was about to have one. I could just look at him and he would give this look where he almost, it almost looked like he was staring through you. And I would try to hug him, hold him, talk to him, try to snap him out of whatever it was. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Um, and then if I could tell that it was getting to that point where I couldn't save him, then he would get a suppository and just pray to God that that kicked in in time. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Um, we had to do emergency vet trips a couple times with him in the middle of the night because of uncontrolled seizures. Like you let it go for a certain period of time. He had clusters, so he would have several, like I think one night we went to the emergency vet, it was a period of three hours and he probably had about 15 seizures. And the problem with the seizures are the body is being worked up so much, the muscle um, movement and everything like that, the body temperature rises. So we had to be aware of febrile um, seizures too. So, um, and you know, the brain getting to a certain temperature, you know, killing him. So he, um, he was a special case. Uh, but he ultimately passed, not due to seizures, he passed in our care on April Fool's Day of 2016, um, a date that I'll never forget, and an April Fool's Day that I just, I'm not a fan of April 1st anymore. Um, Chase had been real lethargic for a few days, and not eating really well, and just not himself, and I told my coordinator, I said, I'm going to take him to the vet, because I think he might have a blockage. He might have eaten something he's not supposed to. I don't know. He was a sneaky dog. He was about a hundred and some pounds, but he was sneaky. And um, just a goofy dog. I loved him to death. So he ends up going under the knife and we were present because our vet is amazing and he lets us participate in those things and, and observe and witness. And um, so we're all just thinking he ate something he's not supposed to. Well, that gets in there and it turns out to be intestinal torsion. So kind of like bloat, but where bloat is the stomach flipping, this was just his intestines just got all knotted up. That can happen because he's a large dog. So um, there's a lot of room in his abdomen for things to move around. So... The decision was made while he was already under anesthesia to go ahead and, and put him down because he um, he would have had what they call short bowel syndrome. The doc could have cut out the dead bowel, but it would have shortened it so much so that it would affect his medication. And then we would have to start all over with that. What's in the best interest, you know? So we went ahead and 
had him um, put down. Like I said, mm. worst time of my life. Um, we also had Zuba. She was on TV. She was a hospice case that came to us and um, actually ended up being adopted. So she had, she came into the rescue with kidney failure, stage four kidney failure. And with tons of supplements and diet and medication and whatnot, um, she was able to be adopted because her levels had stabilized to a point where the vet said that it was just going to be diagnosed as like stage three kidney disease. We had kind of reversed some of the permanent damage to her kidneys. Um, but she had a bucket list and she was all over the news and um, we had so many weird things on there like eat a Krispy Kreme donut, um, go for a boat ride, be a police dog, an honorary police dog, which she got to do with Portsmouth Police Department. Um, she celebrated her birthday party, which was, uh, she was given six to nine months to live, so that was a big accomplishment in her birthday. We had a pool party for her, and that's when the news crew came out to, to learn about her and put awareness on her. Uh, received cards from all 50 states. Well, she was receiving them from Greece and um, Australia, uh, Germany, Spain, you name it, she was getting cards. And it was so cool to see that. Um, and they were coming to a P.O. box, so we weren't getting them directly, but then our coordinator gave them to us. And people sending treats and stuff like that, tennis balls. Um, I mean, you name it, that dog was spoiled. And eventually she got adopted. And when she got adopted, all that went with her. Um, we were like, you can have this all. Um, but it was good to see. She, she lived for a couple more years, and then things started to go downhill again. So she, she was um, euthanized as well because it was what was in the best interest for her. Um, she was a very small dog too. She wasn't your typical shepherd. So I'm sure if you look up, we might still have a, an active Facebook page, um, Zuba's Bucket List, Z-U-B-A. Um, you can see pictures of her on there. And I, there may even be a clip of the news article um, that they did on us. And my duck is quacking to try to get in. Um, so, we had those, um, I had another um, case of a dog that, um, oh, Chase, I didn't finish with Chase. So Chase was adopted at one point and he came back to us. He was the situation I was telling you about where the family decided it was best to um, put him back into the, the rescue. Um, Chase was a very big dog, like I said, and he was bossy and especially with little kids and he was very bossy with their kids friends and it got to the point where they were isolating chase when friends would come over but they didn't want that they wanted a family dog a dog that could play with their kids and friends and be with them not locked up so they made a very hard decision after a few months to give chase back and when when they contacted me about it i immediately without hesitation said he's coming back to me i will let the rescue know or you can let them know but I'm letting them know he's coming back and he's coming to me that made their transition back to uh, giving him up much easier because they knew that he was coming back where he was taken care of before and I was going to I was going to continue to look after him and then unfortunately like I said Chase ended up passing in our care um, so um, I also had a dog who is still with not with us, but still around. 
uh, Derby. Derby um, was a very unique personality. Um, Derby would smile. And when I say smile, I don't even really know if it was like cheese smile or if it was like get away from me kind of smile. He would show his teeth. He would bare his teeth. Um, Derby had a rough start, start with his new family. He was fantastic when they came to meet him. They loved him from the get-go. Like they, they were just set on Derby. Um, Derby had a bite history with a couple of people that they, you know, while in their care. And I remember the first email I got from his new owner telling me about him. I, I think the first bite was biting the dog, the dog walker, um, putting him in the cage and she tried to do something and like he turned around and bit her hand. Um, and when I saw that email, I thought, oh my gosh, he's coming back. But she didn't tell me that. She wanted to know why I thought he may have done that. So I started digging in, like, okay, asking questions. Did she do this? Did she do that? You know, how did he react? Did his, was his back to her? This, this, and that. Trying to pull the pieces together as to why Derby reacted the way that he did. He also had another situation where he bit somebody too. I don't quite remember that. But once again, she reached out to me. She's like, we're trying to figure out what's wrong with him, you know? And I told her at one point, I was like, you know, there's some dogs where you just don't know what it is. You can't find their trigger. You don't know what it is. But bless their heart. They have stuck by his side every time. I don't care what he's put them through. They have stuck by. Um, Derby's mom is an avid runner. And they live in North Carolina. But she came up a few years ago, right after we moved into our house. So back in 2017, she came up to run a marathon at the Virginia Beach Oceanfront, the Rock and Roll Marathon, around Labor Day. And so she, um, she wanted to come by and see Derby. And we had just literally, I mean, she wanted to come by and bring Derby by so we could see him. We had literally just moved in. We had, like, our furniture in there, but still everything in boxes. And um, I, without hesitation, yes, please, come over. So they, they hung out for like an hour or two and it was so good to see Derby and for him to see me and be like, oh, hey, it's you again. It took him a minute, but then he got it. And that just really fills my cup when the dogs can recognize you again. Um, so that family too, like I said, he gave them every opportunity to say, hey, you're going back to the rescue or, you know, we're just going to put you down or something like that they've stuck by his side and I get to see pictures of Derby with white on his face like Sammy and it's just uh, it feels so good this is why I do it y'all this is exactly why I do it um another story I have is of a very special little golden pup that came in and um he's not even really golden retriever either <laughs> but he um when he came to us he didn't really have a name I named him Schooner like the tall ships, like a schooner ship. Um, and I would call him Schoon Boom. That was his nickname. And he ended up being adopted by a lovely family. Excuse me. Sorry about that. He ended up being adopted by a family that just loves him to no end. Well, they're Green Bay Packer fans, and they already had a golden puppy, a true golden puppy named Jordy, named after Jordy Nelson. And um, so when they heard Schooner, they're like, we want to name him something else. We just don't know what. 
Well, at the time that they got him, he had this cute little white V in between his eyes. And I don't know if it was just from being out in the sun all summer, like, you know, if it just blonded up, blonded up, but um, he had this little V. And as soon as they saw it, they were like, Vinny, after Vince Lombardi. So that's his name, Vinny. Well, coming full circle, Susan now is, that's his mom. She now volunteers with the rescue and she's a um, home evaluator. And this Saturday, she will be coming by our house with Vinny in tow to um, do our home eval so we can get rolling with the Golden Rescue again. Um, and I'm so excited to see him. It's been a couple of years. Um, after they adopted him, she would bring him by little dog functions where she knew I was at. And it, I just, oh, he's he was another one of my soul dogs. Like, I love that dog so much. Um, I think my Instagram was full of Vinny pictures, well, Schooner pictures, but, um, Man, I'm so excited to see them this weekend. So that is one thing that it just, it's, it's totally worth fostering. Yes, you give these dogs away. Yes, it's heartbreaking at that time. But when you see these dogs again, or you get to follow them on Facebook, Instagram, which I do um, with a lot of the families, it's so cool to just see them thriving where they should be. Um, so... I just, I wanted to make that short because, or try to make it short and um, share a couple of stories of the special ones that came into our lives. Um, you all know that I have my shepherd, Jet, and Jet is actually a foster failure. And we call them that in the, in the rescue world as a foster dog who never left because you adopted them. So yes, we failed at fostering him because he's now permanent. Um, he came to us at four months old and we had just lost our black lab Liberty. And my husband and I have always had a black dog. And my husband was like, I need, he's mostly black. So he was like, I need, um, this is my black dog. So we've kept Jet. Um, he's a great dog. He's a jerk. Uh, I call him Jet the jerk. And it's just his headstrong, you know, very uh, independent. Um, you know, I'm the protector of everything. Everything is mine mentality. Um, but I could not ask for a better dog for Sailor to grow up with. He has been phenomenal. Um, he is not very stranger friendly. And I tell people that. And then when they find out that we have a child, they're like, oh my God, I can't believe you have that dog around the child. Well, if you saw the way this dog was with my child, you would get one just like him. Believe me. Um, so I don't take any offense to that because I know how he is. I know that if there were to be an incident with him and Sailor, he would be, you know, that would be done, but he's never given us that. Um, with the puppy that we have now with Kona, the nine week old that we have, um, he's fantastic with her. It took us a few days to, to kind of test him and see how he was going to be. He's always been great with our other fosters, um, but we just wanted to be sure because she's so tiny and fragile right now, they've been great. Uh, he does his moaning, groaning, like, hey, get away from me. I don't want you messing with me kind of thing. But he has not hurt her. Um, it, it's, it's great to see um, him take on a leadership role for Kona. Um, she really looks up to him. And I think it's mostly, too, because he looks a lot like her mom. But <laughs> um, so I'm going to close this out with the um, 
the fallen officers. I know last segment I did the dogs. There are unfortunately um, two officers that we lost today in the line of duty. And I just wanted to share, um, you know, their information, their story. So we have officer, my apologies, I'm trying to find it. Officer Ryan Bialke, B-I-A-L-K-E. He's a tribal police with the Red Lake Nation Police Department. Um, his end of watch, oh, my apologies. His end of watch was Tuesday the 27th, um, July 27th. He was shot and killed while responding to reports of a suicidal subject at a home on Highway 1, one mile west of Redby. The subject opened fire and shot Officer Bialki as he arrived at the home. He was transported to the Indian Health Service Hospital where he succumbed to his wounds. He is um, survived by his wife and four children and he served with the Red Lake Nation Police Department for six years. He was 37 years old. Um, and that, that area is actually in Minnesota. The offender is in custody. Um, then another one that, that was really hard um, is Officer Marquise Morer with the Selma Police Department in Alabama. Um, he looks like a baby, you guys. Like, it's so sad to see. When I saw his picture pop up, I was like, he looks like a baby. Like, he doesn't even look old enough to be a police officer yet. Um, his end of watch was Tuesday, July 27th. He was shot and killed from an ambush while stopping at his apartment for a meal break at 4 a.m. He was approached by a subject who then opened fire on him outside of the building in the Selma Square apartment. He suffered fatal gunshot wounds and his significant other was also wounded. The subject fled the scene and at this point it said remains at large, but they have captured... I believe in Tuscaloosa, they captured 18-year-old for his murder. Um, Officer Moore was 25 years old, you guys. 25 years old. Um, so, if you'll please say prayers for the uh, Selma Police Department and the Red Lake Nation Police Department and their families. Um, this is... That's tough. Uh, it's tough when you lose an officer any day of the week. It's really tough when you um, go back to your research and realize you lost two in one day, um, both to gunfire. Um, unfortunately, you don't hear about this across the news outlets or anything like that. I'm sure locally they're hearing about it, but you know, you probably haven't heard about it here. I know I didn't. The only reason I know is because I follow, um, you know, police pages on Instagram. Uh, because that's the police wife life way of doing things and um, the FOP national FOP actually posted those today so please send prayers to their families um, I pray that officer Moore's significant other will be okay that she will recover um, and thanks for joining guys again for the two-part uh, segment and if you guys have any questions about fostering or the um, adoption process or anything like that, reach out to me on Instagram um, at doggonehairylife, all one word. Um, shoot me a message on there and I'll answer it as soon as I can. Um, and if you have any questions about anything, you know, life related or any comments that you want to make, please, please, please leave me 
uh, comments. Um, this podcast is available now across a lot of networks, Spotify, um, Breakcast, uh, Anchor, Google, um, pretty much anywhere you can get your podcast. So like and subscribe if you like what you're hearing. Um, send me some feedback, you know, on what you want to hear, what you want me to talk about. I think next week I'm going to kind of talk about some parenting stuff. I have started following a parenting podcast that, um, a mom to mom podcast, which is literally what it's called mom to mom. And, um, really like that. So I'll probably talk about that next week or some of the podcasts that I follow to kind of help me navigate through some of the seasons of life that I'm going through. Um, but I appreciate you guys joining in. I apologize for any of the uh, extra noise because like I said, AC's out. I'm sitting out in the dark right now <laughs> with Jet on the porch with me and um, crickets chirping, ducks were quacking, rooster crowing. Um, but that's my life. That's my doggone hairy life. Uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks guys. Bye.